My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. Faithful Eumenidites, this is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, bringing you another episode of Euripides, Eumenides, a theater history podcast. Welcome back! Or, for my new listeners, welcome for the first time. You are all most appreciated here. <laughs> Speaking of new listeners, let's do this thing I like to do on episodes. Let's check the charts and see where I'm getting some new listeners. Hello! To my new listeners in Maryland and Colorado, hey, I'm pretty close to Colorado, so if anyone there would like to have me come down for a live in-person episode, I'd be glad to do it. Got a lot of friends down there who would make great guests. And just hit me up on my Instagram accounts for either Trident Theater or Euripides Humanities and Maryland. Same offer goes to you. If you'd like to see me in person, I'm all about it. But internationally. Hello to new listeners in Ireland and the Netherlands. I've always wanted to see either of your lovely countries, so if you'd also like an in-person episode, let's have a conversation. But speaking of conversations, oh my Eumenidites, I've got a doozy for you today. <laughs> the topic for this episode was brought to me by my good friend Patrick Kossel, who was my guest for a truly cool episode on the creation of a role, episode 25, The Bottled Spider, in which we discussed the unparalleled performance of Richard III by the late actor Sir Tony Schur. But... Patrick saw me at a rehearsal one night and was very eager to talk to me about a very juicy subject, which I stored away for just the right guest. My guest for this episode is a returning fan and friend of the podcast, theater educator Dustin Hebert, who has been on the show several times and someone who I love to share juicy stories with. And this episode is no different. Dustin mentions several times in this episode the Roman theater historian Horace. Quick backstory on Horace. He tried to strictly define the art of theater in the Roman era to varying levels of success and failure, but overall, Horace maintained that theater exists to educate and to entertain, which I believe Dustin and I do quite well. So unless you are blindly listening without having seen the title of the topic on your preferred podcast provider, you'll probably understand just how juicy this is when I announce the title in just a moment. In any case... I certainly hope you enjoy this episode, Debbie Does Dallas the Musical. (laughs) 
So, Dustin, hey, welcome back. It's awesome to have you back here, man. Like, uh, obvious big fan of the show and 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 longtime friend of the show. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, when you actually texted me uh, about a month ago and said, I need to get on the show again. I was uh, bored. <laughs> I need somebody to talk to. Life has no meaning anymore. Um, I need to be but, relevant. But we had to work around. Uh, you know, you're still doing high school theater, and that's very awesome. Yes. I, I, I applaud anybody who who continues to do that and helping young people uh, figure out just where to where they land in the theater world. But you did kind of a fun, challenging project because every time I hear about this show, I'm like, God, that is a lot of dancing and uh great costumes you just got done with newsies the musical we did we just crushed newsies and by crushed i mean it was it was uh six shows uh relatively sold out newsies was fantastic because of our community support but also we had started front loading a large portion of the dancing almost let's see it's the end of march so almost to the day a year ago we started Whoa. doing dance classes. I mean, and I mean oh. dance classes. So our choreographer held dance classes on Saturdays for those students in preparation for. We knew oh, what man. we were doing ahead of time. Uh, and I can I can front load a year ago, uh, a year ahead. So it helps. Um, we started working dance classes uh, at least Saturdays. And so she would teach them one hour to one hour and a half dance class every Saturday in preparation for newsies. So the students knew the basics. Um, well, yeah. Well, what we're finding is, is that kids know how to sing. Kids know how to act, but dance being that it's part of a completely different curriculum. Uh, she wanted to make sure my choreographer wanted to make sure that everything was secure with their dance skills. So she front loaded a lot of dance skills. Most oh, of the basic, that's awesome. Uh, that's yeah. amazing. I love that. Well, we took, we took care of that and we're going to use that uh, going forward. So we're essentially springboarding off of that front front end training mm -hmm. from here on out for probably our, at least our next two years. Newsies was fantastic. And, you know, to have, Anywhere from 14 to 20 kids be able to tap on stage was one of those things that's a very rare treat. And I think it worked very well for us. Well, and I would say, you know, having taught at the high school level before and having kids go, so what's it like to try to be professional? You know, I mean, you can tell them certain things like, okay, you're going to hear no a lot and, uh, and, and you're going to have to figure out what kind of type you are and understand that you are not other certain types, but you know, the, the idea of being a triple threat is a real thing, right. you know, right. being able to have those acting chops to be able to read in a cold reading, to uh, be able to sing. Okay. But that you can watch a choreographer go, okay, here's the steps, five, six, seven, eight. And you follow them. That's a uh, huge. It's a, it's a different skill. It's, yeah. a, it's an absolutely different skill. And whereas I'm a, <laughs> don't <laughs> laugh. I have a shirt that says single threat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I laughed. I have a, <laughs> I have a shirt. <laughs> it says single threat. Ah, it's, it's not acting. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's and so my, my single threat shirt 
it tells me that <laughs> that's the great part about about musical theater is you're expected to be in trouble, but I'm like more of a more of a single, but I can do double. I can do double ish. I've been known to do a triple if if you ask. If I've got a couple of months, I can do a triple. Maybe triple. That's that's funny. Like I know, you know, my certain skill set and uh, you know, a lot of the technical side of theater is not in my wheelhouse. You know, I can I can build a set, I can put it up. Couldn't do a thing about sound. Lighting yeah. is not great for yeah. me, but I have seen people who go, Yeah, I can do that. And you're like, wow, you can't. So that's unfortunate <laughs> that you said that. <laughs> Anyway, my single threat status was uh, phenomenal. But like watching these kids work and watching them dedicate themselves to uh, hours. And I mean, like Saturdays, uh, a solid six hours of work. Oh, geez. Uh, a week. I mean, I mean, and I mean that like really, really and truly like six hours worth of work on a Saturday was a lot for them. They worked their asses off and the show was widely received. You know, honestly, to take a group of kids from Wyoming and be able to do this fantastic show in a way where it wasn't just, and this was important, and I'm going to make this statement before I move forward. It wasn't just three or four kids tapping and yeah. 20 kids cheering them on. Right. It was 20 kids tapping. Oh, man. And that's what I wanted. It was important for me to not take the kids that had the skill and ex and and uh, exemplify them and, and spotlight them that, specifically. Yeah, right. It was important that it was a group community piece, and that's oh. what I really wanted to do with it. Love it. So, love it. Newsies moving forward. Yes, and we did a great job. You know, uh, houses, people came. There were some people that were happy. <laughs> that is all I remember. <laughs> I remember some happy. applause. I remember an applause, and that is about it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I love to hear that. I love to hear that. And just, God, I'm thinking of it like the incentive for a high schooler to spend six hours of their weekend working on that kind of stuff. You Not know, a lot. That is, <laughs> yeah. well, no, there's none, which tells me, there's dedication and love, and that's right. that's pretty awesome that you're it's able in, to foster it's that. It's intrinsic more than extrinsic. Right. It's not, right. I get paid by the hour, it's I love this, and that's what we mm -hmm. want to do. We want to foster that creativity, we want to foster that love of the arts, yeah. and that's very Absolutely. important to me. I'm I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just dive right into it today because I think uh, we've do. led right up to it with talking about musicals and what people will go see. And, you know, I usually like to start these with a question, Dustin, uh, but I'm going to give you a challenge here. I like okay? challenges. And this might be the point where any of your students who might be listening should probably stop listening. Go away. But anyway, I'm going to read a lyric from a musical for you. And I want to see if you have any clue what musical it might be from. Here we go. I'm a small town girl with a chance at the big time and chances don't come easy. I'm going to give you three guesses. This is solid. That was a solid uh -huh. work. Because it could I'm be, small, it could I'm be small several. Town girl. Hold on. I'm a sm yeah, small I'm town girl. With a chance at the big time and chances don't come easy. Rock 
of Ages could possibly be a remake there, but it's not good. Look, at, uh, just a small town girl, right? Uh, so that's, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Remake. Okay, so that yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's one guess, girl. and you're wrong. No, I didn't say that. Oh, whoa, damn it! Whoa. Okay, I'm wait. All right, fine. What you could pull from? Okay, fine. Okay, good. Yeah. So it's not Rock of Ages. Well, it, okay, we got that established. Sorry. Jukebox musical. Mmm. Nope. Joel. Billy Joel. No. Uh, okay, I'll I'll complete that answer with is it uh, moving out by Billy? Joel. It's it is not. Okay, I'll take that. That's fine. <laughs> Can you give me the lyric again, please? You want to hear it again? Okay, I'm a small town girl with a chance at the big time, and chances don't come easy. Is it something from uh, that's that's uh, like a. Uh... At this point, my okay. listeners are Googling and they're I know, I know. I, I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward. Uh, a Beetlejuice? No, it's not Beetlejuice. That's two. I'm a small town girl. And what's the last part of it? With a chance at the big time and chances don't come easy. I don't have it. I don't have it. I you don't, don't have, have it? it? Okay. Have All right. Well, tell you what. Uh, it, it, it is kind of a stretch. And uh, that's going to come into play later as well. Anyway, after... Thinking over many possible contenders for a topic for us today, one of the most prolific titles from the annals of the adult film industry came to the fore. Debbie Does Dallas. Late late 70s, early 80s. Late 70s, yeah, okay. yep. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, j- just to familiarize the audience with the story, and since obviously neither you nor I have seen the film, obviously, here's a great quote I found online summarizing the plot of the film. The plot of the film is very simple. Texas high school cheerleader Debbie Benton wants to go to Dallas to be a cheerleader, but she has no money at all, so her friends decide to help her by working in stores and, of course, having sex with men. Time out. Oh, time out. Does this musical take place in Texas? Um, yep. You may continue. (laughs) Here's the rest of the quote. Yes! Okay. So, like I said, working in stores and, of course, having sex with men, that's it. That's the whole plot of the film. We have no idea that Debbie and her friends raise enough money to go to Dallas or not. But one thing's for sure, we enjoy watching the comedy bits and memorable sex scenes for sure, end quote. Debbie does Dallas. So, unfortunately, despite gaining cult status through the 70s and 80s, none of the performers of Debbie does Dallas rose to fame, as did some of their counterparts. The blogger who wrote that very succinct review mentioned that two of his favorite performers were Arcadia Lake and Bambi Woods, who played the title role. What a name. Uh Uh-huh. The rumors about Arcadia Lake all seem to center around her dying of a drug overdose in the early 90s, but some conspiracy theorists out there suggest that she faked her own death to live a normal life. Couple of things. Uh Uh-huh. I love this. (laughs) <laughs> because if there's nothing that screams a very i you know i'm looking for a bridge connection between theater and smut it's debbie does dallas uh-huh. which uh-huh uh-huh it's um, a very clear it's a it's a bullet train between the two of them boom it's not smack no mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's just i love i love how theater always pushes for the deviant approach as much as humanly possible. I mean, uh-huh. it just, it just pushes buttons. Uh-huh. And 
Oh, you know what we should do? Oh. I just mm. want to. I just want to be the producer in the room. Smoke-filled room, large mm. aviator sunglasses, uh, lots of chest hair, low-cut shirts. Yeah, Odom, you'd be there. You'd have. Mm -hmm. You'd yeah. have. You'd have at least three buttons down, chest hair flowing, and wow. we'd be in a smoke-filled room. Scotch, uh -huh. lots of lapels going. You know what we should do? Mm. Uh, Let's do Debbie Does Dallas on the musical theater stage. <laughs> and then you have 10 yes men at the table all going, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. De Debbie Does Dallas. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, De Ooh, De 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 Debbie could do anything and I'd watch it. Debbie could do anything. <laughs> if you film it right. <laughs> so I'm going to get back to uh, Bambi Woods because there's also a little uh, interesting conspiracy theory here. As far as Bambi Woods is concerned, while her name is immortalized as the first performer to play Debbie, the rumors about Bambi all seem to end in mystery. But it is suggested that she slipped away from the adult film industry and became <laughs> a homemaker in West Des Moines, Iowa. I don't believe it. No? Now look, I spent the last two years of my undergrad career at Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. Okay. <laughs> And I remember running into celebrities at the grocery store or the pharmacy because, well, that's where they lived. You right. know, you're like, oh, I just saw you on Scrubs. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Interesting. All right. Zach Braff? Uh, no, it's John, John C. McGinley. John C. McGinley. That is uh -huh. phenomenal. I was in the produce section and I stood up and turned to my right and there's Pamela Anderson in the same produce section is me and i just have to think like is there somebody out there in west des moines iowa that went to the local walmart and they're in the sporting goods section and they look up and they go oh my god it's bambi my god <laughs> we're one man like that that's that's perfect that's exactly that's perfect. That's, right right i love malibu oh so please much. Oh God! Please tell me that's. A, let's make that documentary. Finding Bambi. Finding Bambi. Finding John C. McGinley, and Bambi. <laughs> and Bambi. Okay, so back to Debbie Does Dallas. As far as the success of the Debbie Does Dallas franchise to date, there have been at least twelve films made, and along with its predecessor, Deep Throat, Debbie Does Dallas has been credited with being one of the flagship films that began what is now known as the Golden Age of Porn. Well, I'm glad you had me on today. Uh, <laughs> clearly, you brought some level of expert into this, and uh, I'm happy to provide you with any level of information that you need at this oh. point. Well, here, maybe you can corroborate this story, because this is great. I, um, I cannot. <laughs> well, well, we'll find out. From what I understand, the film did have some controversy around it as well. Can you imagine an adult film with controversy? No. No? Okay. You see, when the NFL organization, the Dallas Cowboys, heard about the movie and saw the promotional material of Debbie in a suggestive cheerleader costume with signature blue and silver colors and a sparkly cowboy hat, they had a problem. Dallas Cowboys, okay. Uh-huh, yep. Evidently, they brought some sort of legal action when the film was presented at the Pussycat Theater in the in New York in the late 1970s. Was that off from 42nd and Broadway at all? Probably right around there. Right around there. Uh, apparently, it was a chain too, from what I understand. So 
The result of this legal action is fairly clear. While the title of the movie remained Debbie Does Dallas, the organization that Debbie is hell-bent on being a part of thereafter became known as the Texas Cowgirls, not the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders. So it's it's not necessarily referring to that auxiliary team of truly talented performers that accompanies the Dallas Cowboys at all of their home games. Totally talented. Yeah, yeah. Texas Cowgirls, completely different. Same colors, mm-hmm. all that shit. Texas mm-hmm. Cowgirls. Yeah. Stars. But nonetheless, the positive cult status of the Debbie Does Dallas franchise has left an undeniable mark on American culture. So why not adapt it into a stage musical? <laughs> yeah, no, because musical theater and uh, pornography, uh, they go hand in hand. Well, I mean, you were on my episode, my first live in-person episode in front of an audience, in which we talked about stage nudity, and one of the plays we discussed was O oh, Calcutta. Correct. In which the people, the the cast came out on stage in bathrobes and throughout the opening number just completely disrobed and were barely seen in clothing for the rest of the, the time. Correct. One of the longest selling shows on Broadway. One of the things I don't teach my kids about <laughs> the lo- was the longest selling show on Broadway. <laughs> oh, there you go. Mr. Hebert, what is this? Oh, Calcutta? Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I just decide that all of your students are Dickensian street children? I don't know. Mr. Hebert, could I have some more Oh, Calcutta? Oh, this is great. In interviews, theater artist Susan L. Schwartz, yes, this was put together by a woman, who ended up fully adapting the film for stage, said that the whole thing started with something of an aloof conversation. What would it be like if we read the script of a famous porno on stage? It's going to be very shallow. Not a lot of, I mean, I want to know who the antagonist is. Like, I want an antagonist in porn. (laughs) I want want the guy that keeps the main character from accomplishing his goal. And and I'm going to be getting into that in here in just a little bit as as to why they chose this specific movie over others. Oh, no. I mean, like, that's the thing about porn is like, you're like, well, it's clearly going to happen. So you might. So Mm -hmm. there's no there's no threat. There's no stakes. There's no fear that the main character is not going to accomplish his goal. Show me a show me a porno twist. Uh, show me a porno twist, M. Night Shyamalan. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were having sex with your boss when really, it was your mailman. Bum bum bum. <laughs> and she's wearing a yellow coat. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now re- research for uh research for the stage adaptation came out of some truly unusual moments. For example, as described by Susan Schwartz in this quote, there were some difficulties in finding the collected oeuvre of the Debbie Does franchise. Quote: I went to the video store and I couldn't find them. So I had to go up to the guy and I said, Hi, do you have Debbie Does Dallas? And he smirked. And I said, no, no, it's for an off-off-Broadway show that I'm doing. And he goes, sure it is. Yeah, because judgment and porn only came about in the last 2,000 years, but that's fine. Uh, And I can only assume that he just went, 
Sure it is. Sure. Here's the back room. Pulls back the curtain. There's the there's the library. <laughs> Schwartz also mentioned in interviews that in the early 2000s, porn had become fairly ubiquitous thanks to the internet. And titles like Debbie Does Dallas were almost reaching legendary status. So in order to effectively parody the genre, Schwartz actually watched several adult films from that time period, but all of them ended rather darkly, you know, as though there was some sort of antagonist and 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 the women were really, you know, kind of in, unfortunately victimized. Yeah, because that's what makes good drama. Yeah, yeah, you set up danger. Right. Yeah, we need to we need to feel something. We can't just like we we've got to feel fear <laughs> because because in porn we care about a character arc. Because when I am sitting in a theater with forty five other men uh, spaced about hypothetically, hypothetically, <laughs> he's not hypothetically. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. Actually, no. when he's sitting, he's just hypothetically no, no. speaking, but. When the woman who ha- I've seen naked several times and had sex several times gets her, gets her heart broken, I feel – I can't even say it with a straight face. You can't. Ah. You can't. Because oh, it's so God. emotionally wrenching. But check this out. This is what Schwartz said about why she picked it. She stated that Debbie Does Dallas consistently maintained its innocence – particularly in the constant proclamation from its female characters, we're good girls. Schwartz said, I thought it was the most palatable porn. What is palatable porn? What's the difference? Well, like digestible. Is it digestible porn? Yes. It's, it's something that isn't, isn't difficult to, Oh God. Isn't difficult to swallow. It's, it, I, sorry, it, it just came out. Have a good day, folks. I'll see you. I'll see you on the next podcast of Euripides Humanities. I bid you good day, sir. Oh, God. I bid you good day. But no, really, it was about five, I think five, uh, five young girls getting jobs after school to try to help their friend get enough money to meet her, her like, you know, goal. Sure. And it just turned out that they were all freaking perverts. Yeah. And <laughs> and we're okay with that. As a society, we welcome that. Evidently so. And it's compelling because we want them to win because if they were of the mm-hmm. upper class, it wouldn't matter. But by God, this girl was not of the upper class. She was the lower no. class. We want them to yes. succeed because much like death of a salesman, we strive for the for the acclamation <laughs> of the American dream. Attention must be paid. Attention must be paid. To Debbie. <laughs> My kids can watch the show. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Yeah. The play was finally developed as a non-musical for audiences by the fall of 2001 and presented in Manhattan's Crane Theater, K-R-A-I-N-E, as part of the New York International Fringe Festival in August of that year. Schwartz herself played the title role. Okay, For the most part, the stage adaptation followed the plot of the original film, but took out the sex. What it replaced it with was humorous bits of stage play, suggestive blocking, that kind of stuff. For example, early on, 
When the cheerleaders get the idea to help Debbie by getting jobs to help her meet her financial goals, two of the cheerleaders then go into an extensive scene in which they, air quotes, help each other stretch, and a wayward custodian happens to find his way into the locker room with a broom. Okay? We're seeing a porno setup here. All right? That tracks in real life. Okay. But the custodian soon just sweeps his way out after blushing when the girls call him by name. Yeah, that tracks. There's, there's no way he'd turn around. And there's no, there's, there's no, yeah, yeah. no, because that's not what happens. There's no way he would just turn around and lock the door and go, girls, I am just cleaning the stalls. Well, this has been great. Great to be here. This has been fun. <laughs> yep. Okay. I'm going to go. Right. <laughs> oh, and check this out. Incidentally, this new stage adaptation actually ends with all the girls gathering the required money to send Debbie off to her audition oh, for the Texas Cowgirls. Oh. Isn't that lovely? She's her goal. Yes. She does. Yes. Isn't that great? Yes. I love it. And she doesn't need to use her sexuality to accomplish anything no. ever again. No. Because that's not morally correct. No. And that's what no. theater teaches us. See, there we go. Correct. What is it? What is it you like to say to your students? You have to be carefully taught. You have to. You have to be carefully taught. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Reviews of the work were somewhat mixed. While some appreciated the frankness and satire with which the creative team approached the project, some critics thought the piece was underdeveloped in terms of plot and was just too campy. Huh. Huh. You know, I would love to be a guy back then and goes, you know, I'm a theater critic. I know exactly what I'm talking about. This is far too campy, and everyone else is going, no oh, shit, buddy. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you, you just came to Debbie Does Dallas. Yeah, so, like, some guys in the back going, this guy, innovator, innovator. <laughs> he knows what he's about. He knows what he's doing. There were also just a small group of patrons who were apparently disappointed by the play's only nudity that was one bare male backside, except I think in this original version. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it in a minute. Uh, uh, Debbie does flash her chest for a small, brief moment, but that there was virtually none of the sex that was in the original work. They were pretty disappointed, I guess, and I'm sure there are still many blogs out there voicing their displeasure, and will do so until the internet blinks out of existence. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's that's <laughs> like if the internet collapsed on people. If you take uh, uh, nobody can post anything that's like negative, then the internet would just poof go away. I I still just love the idea of somebody who saw Debbie Does Dallas live. Well, I don't need to go to the strip club tonight. I can go see this. I can go see this. I can be. It can, it can be amazing. Yep, and to walk out disappointed. How do you? <laughs> That's what's so amazing, is that is that make these choices. You know what I'll do tonight? Go down to Forty Second Street and Broadway, where they intersect, roughly next to Hell's Kitchen, and, and not a seedy yep. part of town. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. What what decade was this presented in? This was in uh, 2000, 2001. Sure, I'll have my choices of The Lion King. Or I believe mm -hmm. Wicked came out at this time, but no, no, no. I'm going to go to this show. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to see what happens, and I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you, as a theater patron, when people go, so what did you think of the show? Uh, you know, it just <gasps> there was a lot lacking. 
maybe they wanted that little pitch of spectacle. Just a little fourth wall break. Well, check this out. You're going to love this. Nonetheless, the work still gained attention of those who saw greater potential for the work. In 2002, the work was staged off-Broadway at the Jane Street Theater and backed by, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but I'm going to just say it, the Araka Group, A-R-A-C-A, the same producers who had just recently brought Town to Broadway, which became one of the more popular musicals of the 2000s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 So after seeing Debbie Does Dallas at the Fringe Festival, they were the ones who further conceived of the work as a musical and assembled a fantastic team to create a wide range of tunes for the soundtrack from upbeat synthesized pop songs to heartfelt ballads to pseudo suggestive love songs to extremely suggestive dance rags all meant to satirize the 70s adult film genre as though the plot was to be told seriously. Well, you know, they've got they, the Araka group. They've got like a, a couple pinky fingers in Wicked, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah The yeah, Araka yeah. group is, they like, they like their, listen, baby, uh, they like their money. They, they, uh-huh. They'll do what they need to do to get their money. But I love the idea that they will take a chance. Oh, yeah. It's it's not, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know that it's fairly rare, but it sounds rare that you have a producer who will go see something off Broadway and go, this might be just quirky enough to make it. For the listeners, keep in mind, we're talking about post-1999, post post-2000 Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these guys are, how do I say this clearly, uh, gathering their defenses against Disney. Yeah. Right. So Disney rolls in with Beauty and the Beast in 1994. And it picks up picks up Lion King. And it's like, you know what we should do? Deep drag of cigarette. Or sorry, mm-hmm. I apologize. How about a Diet Coke? Sure. This is Disney we're Deep talking about. Deep drag of Diet Coke. Sip. <laughs> Let's take them all out. And the Iraqi group, I mean... They're the ones that mm-hmm. are like, well, we got to get it in part of this. So they pick up Wicked. They they pick up like. Um, well, you're in town. Well, you're I mean, in you're town. in town is huge. You're in town, Wicked. Wedding Singer. Wedding Singer. Oh, yeah. Another one that they picked up. And like. Damn. But the Iraqi group picked up everything that was not Disney. Yes. Oh, that's Rock of Ages. That's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, lend me a tenor that's like hairspray wasn't disney all these groups that were like there was disney which is their full catalog here and then iraq groups like let's pick up some pieces that push the boundaries just a little bit because disney wasn't mm-hmm. ready to push boundaries yet no no i understand it was a, a a really difficult thing for them to make deadpool 3 an r-rated movie yeah, yeah, as they're bathing in their bathtubs of money, in their whirlpools uh-huh. of money. You know what? Maybe we shouldn't do this R-rated. Can you pass me a $100 bill? I have to wipe my nose. I have to blow my <laughs> nose on this $100 bill. <laughs> thought that picking apart the origin story of a musical based on an adult film would be as fun as this has been so far. Okay, who am I kidding? Pardon the pun, but this was low-hanging fruit. 
But the conversation this leads to is actually quite salient and very introspective for anyone who might be considering what shows to put in their season. So keep listening. Somehow we actually get into a really cool, deep discussion about truth on stage and honesty with ourselves as performers. But before I forget, feel free to reach out to Trident and Euripides Humanities on Instagram. As I've mentioned in prior episodes, I'm putting out reels on the Euripides Humanities page with content that was not discussed in the episodes. Plus, I'm starting some fun throwback reels for you to get even more out of the episodes. But let's get back to Debbie Does Dallas, the musical. The new creative team also brought in director Erica Schmidt, who made several changes to the piece, which, in my opinion, made the whole concept even better. For example, while, like I said earlier, uh, there was one flash of Debbie being topless in the Fringe version, this was totally eliminated from the off-Broadway version. Schmidt's reasoning? Quote, I'm playing with the audience's expectations. They think they'll see naked women, and all they get to see is a man's rear end. End quote. Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> I mean, the butt's a butt. Like, I... Right, but you're going to see Debbie Does Dallas. You're going to see that. And when you completely remove the sex from a stage adaptation of... a. Uh, my source material was a porno movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but does Debbie really do? <laughs> does she do all of Dallas? Is the population fulfilled by the end of it? I, I guess part of me goes, if you're going to try to manipulate the audience that much, then it's not about the story. It's about it's about the director's approach to the audience. Mm. But but listen, I'm mm-hmm. I'm just a simple country lawyer. I don't I'm just a simple <laughs> country theater teacher. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but Okay, Atticus. Uh yeah, right. Thank you. It does seem <laughs> a little bit manipulative when it comes to the idea where you entice people to come in for a thing and then mm-hmm. you, it's it's almost a bait and switch. Well, I want to get into this by the end of this episode because I think it does speak a little bit more to playing to your audience, understanding yes. your audience. Yes. Uh, but also having faith in your show that you can do this thing without having to rely upon the seedier sides of the source material and help these people understand, look, we're just doing a parody of this so you can understand why we are satirizing it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I get it. hundred percent. Right. Okay. All right. So check this out. This might make your jaw hit the floor. Furthermore, the production team was able to cast Sherry Renee Scott okay. in the title role. Okay. That's, that's a big deal. That's, that's a, a big deal in the 2000s. Very big deal. And to my listeners, if that name sounds familiar, you might recognize that name as the actor who portrayed Kathy in the original production of Jason Robert Brown's last five years, but at that time had most recently been seen on Broadway in Aida. Right. And after Debbie Does Dallas, Scott was featured in the original Broadway productions of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and The Little Mermaid yes, in the role of Ursula. Ursula, yeah. Mm-hmm. She was she was yep. big. But also cast that was the cast album of Jason Robert Brown's last five years. Which, yes. yeah. which to nerds, uh, theatrical nerds from oh, the from the early two thousands, that was their like that was their imprint of how last five years should be done. Right, right. 
And so, and so Sherwin and Scott was a very big deal when it came to how things needed to be like imprinted because Jason Robert Brown, he's not part of this, but he did a very good, he did a very uh, impressionable version of relationships in through the last five years. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. And, and what two people in the cast, Correct. And, 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 uh, but yes, I won't forget that belt, uh, but yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't, you know, who knows? Maybe Debbie does Dallas help Scott get those later roles. Maybe not. I'd like to think it had something to do with it. Anyway, from all accounts, the stage was made to look like a cabaret, even featuring a silver pole for dancing at one end of the stage. And there were plenty of nods to the sexual nature of the source material without being overt. For example, at one point, Debbie imagines meeting the character Mr. Big, who has sent her the invitation for the audition. Mr. Big is not really seen completely at first, but when Debbie asks why he's called Mr. Big, he presents himself fully on stage and says, I don't know, and proceeds to laugh for several seconds while the audience gets a good look at the long phallus-shaped object running down his thigh in his very tight jeans. Okay. Okay. He then exits the stage. <laughs> and proceeds to get paid a lot of money. <laughs> Why are you called Mr. Big? Oh, I don't no. know. Dong. I guess is what I do. Uh, it must be because of my big hat. The off-Broadway version saw much better reviews, and I'd like to read you some excerpts from them right now. From Talkin' Broadway, nothing can disguise the fact that this is a one-joke show. Most of the fun comes from waiting to see how the sex acts, obviously excised from the original source, will be presented on stage. The answer, tamely, if occasionally suggestively. And the dialogue, taken almost entirely from the movie, allows the show's cast to parody both the content and the presentation of the words spoken in pornographic films. Huh. Mm-hmm. They created they created a situation where the dialogue is more important than the nudity. Mm-hmm. The problem the problem is Odom is that uh, this creates an, a very delicate moment for me where we talk about in pornographic films how much do we skip? Yeah, <laughs> and how important the dialogue is. Wait, how did she get there? It doesn't matter. It does not matter. It doesn't matter. The, Wasn't that her brother in the other scene? It doesn't The arc of the story is not as important as no. the last five minutes. But the important uh-huh. aspect of what you're talking about here is, is that they're trying to make the story more important. That they're trying to make a, a story. story. Uh, a story. Mm-hmm. Some importance of yeah of the story. Yep. Here's a here's a review from the New York Times. The new off Broadway musical version opening on Tuesday at the Jane Street Theater must be the most unlikely Debbie yet. Its nudity consists of one bare male bottom. There is no cursing, and its sex scenes are only slightly more raunchy than what happens to appear on network television. Huh. Finally. Porn you can take your grandmother to. Huh. Acceptable pornography. <laughs> oh, Grandma, you're going to love this. 
Oh, Grandma, you're on your deathbed. You don't give a sh- you don't care really what people think. You might like this. I don't know. Uh, it's it's always one of those things where it a lot of people uh, with pornography it depends on the social implications of it. So they're mm-hmm. just trying to make mm-hmm. it better for people. They're just trying to make it more acceptable for people. Well, I can I, I can also just see the scenario where, you know, after a big family dinner, somebody is like sulking in a garage and, you know, somebody comes in with a beer and like, hey, man, you OK? Like, yeah. Well, what's going on, buddy? Just tell me what's going on. <sighs> Grandma won't go to a porno with me. Right. <laughs> My God. If Grandma won't go to a porno with you, what is this world coming to? Right. And now we have it. I just feel bad for the lack of acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm, I'll just say there is a beautiful art to writing theater reviews, and the New York Times has it down very well. Oh, I should have been New York Times writer. But here's a third one. This is actually kind of interesting. It's from the Australian publication, The Age, from a review in 2005 which does kind of indicate the drawing power of Debbie Does Dallas the Musical. Calling it a musical is going a bit far. It is closer to an extended review skit, a scrappy, smutty spoof of a porn movie that strips out the hardcore, replacing it with musical numbers suggestive of the acts taking place. The plot and dialogue that remain are, to say the least, flaccid. Really? That's a really good word choice. Slow clap. (laughs) <laughs> you know what would be suggestive in this review is if i use the word <laughs> but it still was reproduced in 2005 which i thought was interesting but here we go in comparing the two versions there seems to be something of a growing up period that came as a result of the producers hiring a full new creative team to give the piece something of an overhaul when interviewed, Susan L. Schwartz, you know, who came up with the whole thing in the beginning, had this to say. I wasn't trying to make a statement. I was just presenting the movie. The off-Broadway production is trying to say something that I wasn't. End quote. I don't have a word for that. Like, I really don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it started with a conversation, but I just don't think it went to the whole, like, what are we actually trying to say? Here? No, it doesn't. And that's the, uh-huh. I, a couple of things. One, I love, I love that the producer was a female. Uh-huh. I think that should be valued more than anything else. I think that that should be valued, but like, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I feel bad for her because she, it doesn't matter what content is in the show. If it's a bad show, it's a bad fucking show. Well, and I think I, I, I think that original version, really what they did, very similar to one of my favorite podcasts that's ever been out there and has a huge following now, My Dad Wrote a Porno. Yeah. Ooh, I've never heard of that. Me either. But what they're doing is they're taking the script and just reading it as though it's serious. Right. And that's what Schwartz did in that original production. Right. Let's just read it. For the comedic value and try to parody it as much as we can by removing the sex, but making something suggestive. It's not enough, it's not enough though. And that's the, that's the problem. It's just, it's just not enough. And, but this is why I think the Araka group, Araka group came in and saw something. Right. But the Araka group, Debbie Dallas would not be, how do I phrase this? 
I'm going to say this, and, and it's fine. And I, again, appreciate you having me on. <laughs> Debbie Desnales would not be as effective, as effective as a musical genre type, if not the mm. dichotomy and juxtaposition of Disney shoving their perfect ending, perfect world shit in there. She mm -hmm. provided, I mean, that that at the time period, they could see the way the world was turning. They could see that theater, as, as much as they didn't want to, Horace was like, well, theater was meant for pure, purely entertainment. They wanted some level of like, no, there's instruction here too. But also, it's not just your entertainment. It's not just your perfect ending. There are multitudinals of entertainment that are supposed to be here. And I mm -hmm. get what they were doing. The problem is, is they just were not as lucrative as the Disney industry. And of course, you know, that's that's a huge tourist trade. I mean, I've mentioned it on the last several episodes. And people who are going to Broadway have just a certain budget. And they're going to see just a few shows that they are fairly certain they are going to enjoy. Yes. They may not take a chance on something like a Debbie Does Dallas. But on the other hand, Debbie Does Dallas might not be for that Broadway crowd. It might be for that eccentric off-Broadway group. And it's just another smaller revenue stream for the Iraqa group to, to have and maybe see, is this town going to accept this if we actually go a little further? Correct. So, that being said, I can't wait to see your reaction to these next two quotes. Go. So, when the Iraqa group took over and hired Erica Schmidt as a director, she had this to say about her vision for Debbie Does Dallas. It's the American story of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. <laughs> the, question is, <laughs> the question is, if Debbie gives up her virginity in order to go to Dallas, will it be worth it? Yes. Do the ends justify the means? Yes. Ideally, the audience will have a great time, but it will also be left thinking about that. And God damn. <laughs> uh, I, I always like it when people talk about ends justifying means, because it, that means that, well, it means that you quantified the stakes. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad I almost got a spit take out of Aaron Odom. <laughs> It means that you quantified the stakes. That means that you've given a value to what you're risking. And that more importantly, that the actor knows how important it is to make this happen. And that the produ production company knows how important it is. So really and truly, does the ends justify the beans? As Sondheim would put it. And it's so frustrating to me because sometimes... In art, the ends don't supply the no. means, but it's important that they're just, it's important that they're attempted. Mm -hmm. And as contrast material, it's important that they're there. But the problem is they don't realize that because we have to quantify everything. In the mm -hmm. act of mm -hmm. quantifying art, do the ends justify the means? Well, I mean, I, I think about like very successful parody films like The Naked Gun fantastic show i cannot think that the director was saying but what are we really saying about police relations in the modern world 
what are we saying about? I'm sorry. We're saying about artificial intelligence and the automatic pilot. What are we saying mm-hmm. about the importance of that with the airplane? <laughs> what are we saying? Uh, okay, here, here, here's one that I, I, I listen to and I go, okay, I see where you're going here. Here is a quote from Mike Rigo of the Iraqi group. Okay. We looked at this as an opportunity to say something about America and compromise and dream fulfillment Mm. and sexuality. Mm. And I mean, you know, like I was saying, like in the early 2000s, porn was everywhere. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is when like porn stars of that time started to become household names, you know, not just for uh, taking hush money from Donald Trump. (laughs) <laughs> I said it, but for, you know, just being like, they're the video that people are watching in their quiet times. So I, I think there is kind of a poignant thing to say about let's go back and parody this genre that has become so ubiquitous. It, it, that's the, that's the worst. It's not the worst part, but it's, it is. It is a genre that needs to be established, but the problem is, is because it's mm-hmm. so hot button, hot topic, people don't want to touch it. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think if if it was even a little bit more mainstream, even you know, as we're getting into the 2020s, where I mean, you know, you've got all of these like TikTok stars and everything right. who, uh, who who just bounced and said, okay, so this, this is my link to here, which you can find my only fans. And oh, there we go. Maybe it was ahead of its time. Maybe it was just out of time. I don't know. It just, it still was advertised. So you either have a balance of deviance or moral pieces. And that's the hard part is that theater was always meant to balance those deviant moral pieces. Sorry. And uh, Aaron, in my opinion, there's, there's a pendulum that swings back and forth. And it's always one of those ones that, that is such a, such a hard balance to make because the, the, in the last hundred, 120 years, that pendulum swings back and forth very quickly. Yes. And oftentimes, oftentimes very sporadically Mm -hmm. if not with one year we get one thing and then a reaction to the thing is the next year i feel like the problem is is that in because of our culture of of communication everything has become so reactionary that we create Mm. the we move the pendulum faster and slower so that something like so a musical based on a pornographic film out of the eighties will come through and, and rear its ugly head in the two thousands. People love it, mm-hmm. but then we need this Ooh. other counter impulse to go, no, 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 this is inappropriate. We need to find something that will be more family friendly and more family appropriate because musicals should be family friendly and family appropriate because theater was not ever meant to challenge. It was always meant to delight. Uh, I'm uh, I'm just trying to hold back my bile. That's it. Um, okay. Well, that's it. We're done. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> but no, I see where you're coming from. I'm. Just, I I see where you're coming from, and there are those people out there 
And unfortunately, I think they represent more of a vocal majority. A vocal majority, not a voting majority, but a vocal majority. Uh huh. Who will say, I'm sorry, but the musical theater genre is for a broader audience. Correct. And it, okay. All right. Let me wrap this up a bit because I, I, we, I, I, you see exactly where I'm going. I, I don't. No, I'm you have. You, yes, you're very close. I'm just. You're very close. Fun. Okay. Let me go ahead and wrap up the story here. Uh, Debbie Does Dallas has enjoyed several revivals all over the world, as suggested by the review from The Age in Australia in 2005, but never saw its way to the Great White Way. More popularly, it can be seen in smaller markets, such as community theaters or college productions. Rights for the production can be purchased from Broadway Licensing Group, and you can read the entire script online and peruse contract options at broadwaylicensing.com. The off-Broadway cast recording album is available on most streaming music platforms, and for better or for worse, that is the story of Debbie Does Dallas the Musical. Pretty good. However, hold on. Hold on. I think this is important to note. Broadway Licensing Group is also one of the primary foundation, like it's also a conglomerate of DPS or Dramatist Play Services or Play Scripts, which also provides a majority of high schools with their licensing material. Oh my God. So they were able to pick up, they were able to pick up Debbie Does Dallas in a conglomerate sort of fashion, much like Starbucks was to acquire a variety of different uh, coffee shops. Uh, Broadway licensing (laughs) was able to acquire DPS, play scripts and a variety uh-huh. and you know broadway on demand so mm-hmm. it's not like they're going to be hard hit for well we only do debbie does dallas we'll also do no. debbie does dallas and our town right you know right to give the to give the constituents a variety of play options well it's you were saying it there has to be a balance it's all a balance dog <laughs> it's all part of the game but Here's the thing that while I was writing this and researching this, I could not stop thinking about. <laughs> I think this goes into a deeper a deeper discussion on play selection and what troops could do this show. And look, while I am an advocate for trying new things and for performers to stretch their wings, this is a piece that I would suggest requires some homework. And I don't mean go watch the porno movie because you, you know, maybe at least understand it. Okay. I think this is where I'm going to be an advocate for the necessity of table work before a show begins. Interesting. Okay. And I, uh, for the, for listeners who might not understand, this is a period at the very beginning of the rehearsal process in which the creative team and the cast and the producers, possibly the set designers, costume designers all sit down and they discuss the overall concept and vision of the show. And this doesn't just mean a read through and let's go. It involves some serious consideration about the source material and just what it will have to say to the audience to which it's being presented. I mean, this is something that was instilled in you and I in our education that you have to be meeting a need in your community. You cannot just go, here's some shit and expect them to enjoy it. Will you do me a favor? Can you say it again? But can you substitute 
Debbie does Dallas with Joseph and the technical editor in code. Another show that requires its homework. If you don't understand the, the actual story of the Bible that you are telling, you're just going, I'm doing this because of Jesus. It's manipulative. Yes. And if you don't really get it, if you don't really understand the purpose of it, then it will seem manipulative. And more importantly, it's disrespectful to your audience. The more manipulative you mm-hmm. are to your audience, the more they feel disrespectful. Yes. That's the, that's why uh, not a single man, not a single person came out of the 1970s in those um, pornographic theaters on the Broadway or the 42nd Street or any of the uh, pornographic studios in the, in the 70s and, and early 80s. And go, you know what? This was an amazing piece of artistic work. They came out of there ashamed. They came out of there with hoodies over their heads. They came out of there with hats on. Mm -hmm. They came out of there feeling less than. There is no difference between providing an audience with candy as providing them with pornographic material. Um, This is going to come to some contrast and probably, but there is very little difference between providing people with pornographic material as there is providing them with newsies. Mm -hmm. The story, the story creates the same level of endorphins. The story is not Mm -hmm. challenging. It still releases the same level of endorphins in the human brain. Right. Yes. It may be morally Mm -hmm. different than, than uh, how you consider your own standards, but Mm-hmm. There is no difference. And having done musical theater that might be considered pornographic, I have con- I've done musical theater that's considered pornographic. And at the same time, I have done Joseph and the Technical and Dreamcoat. Right. It's all, it's all candy. Yes. It's all meant for entertainment. Here I am in rehearsals of a production of Noises Off right now. There are some fairly lurid things. It is a, the the play within a play is a British sex farce. Yes. But at the end of the night, fun is had by everybody, right? I also, every year, direct a shadow cast production of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Correct. Quite lurid. And, and, and by today's standards is almost becoming out of date in the age of consent and everything. But I still have to produce this show with an understanding that there is a fan base and they're expecting to see certain things. Now, whether or not we actually have, you know, nude characters on stage or simulated sex scenes, that's, I choose to go away from that. I choose to do things like just having people be body positive and enjoy themselves and, be the sexiest versions of themselves that they can see themselves being. Correct. Which I'm like, that's what that show to me is about because it shows the audience. This is what you can also be to yourself. So there is a level of understanding there that we have to like, we have to look at that and go, okay, so what does it mean to try to build yourself up to the point where you are seeing yourself as actually attractive and maybe somewhat attractive to be put on a stage. Okay. So let me get into my, my, my Debbie Does Dallas research here a little bit. Andra, the woman who walks beside me, she and I heard about this show. And 
kind of wanted to see what the musical was all about. And by the way, listeners, if you get onto YouTube and you want to watch items on Debbie Does Dallas, I'm just warning you that some of the content could get you in trouble on public computers, and I would strongly <laughs> caution you to make sure that you include the word musical in your search. Okay? Now, that being said, Andrew and I did see a trailer for the original film on YouTube, and it had a card that was presented several times, seen missing, as well it probably should have. But here's the thing, Dustin. We only found one version that we had a good time with, which was presented by a cabaret and drag company out of San Francisco, a company which may be more familiar with not only this type of suggestive content, but also how to present it and make it palatable. But you, you went through YouTube? You, went, you, you did all your, like, because everything's on YouTube nowadays. Like, nobody gives a shit about rights. Sorry, whoever writes organizations are looking at this hashtag Disney. Nobody cares. <laughs> if you Google a Disney show, it's on there. It's on YouTube. You can go after the people. Yep. That, like, it's everything's on there. Yeah, yeah. But here's the other thing. I said we saw that one version, and we had a really good time with it. It was very fun because they understood how to do camp. They also understood how to do camp innocence very, very well. But many of the other versions that we saw did not seem to have the understanding of the show they were undertaking. It was as if they thought that by putting a funny and air quotes naughty script in front of the audience, sure, they would magically get a campy piece that could be universally enjoyable and allow them to wear little skimpy clothing and just be on stage in front of sure. people. I, I guarantee you they will put Debbie Does Dallas next to something else. They will counterbalance this show. Nobody will just do this mm. show. They will always do Debbie Does Dallas and something else because it's always about balance. They can't just provide mm. their audiences with one avenue that this will be a moment in a season or a brief one week uh, interlude between Cats and Brigadoon. It will it will be right. Okay. It will never be its own thing. It will never be a tour. It will never be a, a, a moment that people celebrate right. on its own. It will always be this like, hey, come see Joseph in the technical and dream coat and Andrew Lake Webber's Phantom of the Opera. And then in the middle, you've got one week where we do <laughs> Deep Dragon, Cigarette Puffs, <laughs> Debbie does Dallas next to cats. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that's the, that's how you make a, that's how you make a program mm -hmm. is by doing mm -hmm. this inflammatory piece. And, and, Having been in the full Monty, that's what happens. It's it's mm -hmm. the full Monty's the same yeah. thing. Nobody gives a shit about the story. Nobody gives a shit about Jerry trying to get his kid back. Nobody cares mm. about the idea that he's like, listen, I just need a job and I want to make some money. And my main goal is to prove that I'm a, I'm a father that has more than just I can work in the rust belt. Nobody gives a shit about that. Yeah. They just want to see the guys take their clothes off. And any musical thereafter, which has involves male stripping or female stripping, that's the idea behind it. Rock of Ages also, and it's not a big surprise to me that Acosta Group picked up this show and Rock of Ages at the exact same time. They still deal. Look, look, I've done Rock of Ages. I get it. 
It's the same thing. Yep. You use sexuality yep. in order to sell a story. Mm -hmm. It's not a big mystery. It's mm -hmm. not somebody that's like, I'm an incredibly complex person. I know exactly what I'm doing. No, you don't. You're picking up Debbie Does Dallas, you're picking up Brock of Ages, and you're going to mix that in there with Godspell and Joseph and the Technical and Dreamcoat, and you've got a season. That's your rep season. <laughs> okay, okay, right. From a business perspective, I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, because you've got to make money. But the problem that I'm seeing is you do have people who will pick this as their piece to be inflammatory, specifically to, you know, flaunt whatever they want to flaunt because the show allows it. But that's not, a, but that's not the story. That's not what the story allows. That's not about the story. I, I know. I know. But that's the thing that I saw with some of these other ones where I was like, oh, you're just allowing, you're, you're just doing this because you want to get in a cheerleader costume in front of an audience. Correct. When really, and I'm, and you're going to tell me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but really and truly, this has a lot of touches on death of a salesman or what, what we have to sacrifice in order to accomplish our American dream, what we have to give up. And I know that I'm coming back to this, but it, it is true, is that what we have to give up, our own sense of self, our own morality comes with this show and with death mm -hmm. of a salesman. He had to be the person that was yep. liked by everybody, just like Debbie. Ooh. Just like Debbie. Ooh. Yeah. And I didn't know where I was going to go with this whole rant. I mean, what I was watching with some of the versions that were just not, I'm like, you're not clicking with your audience. You, you're not. And sure, there are some idiots out there who are hooting and hollering because they're, they're at Debbie Does Dallas the Musical, and they oh. think that's what you're supposed to do. So the cast, that may be what they thought they got, was the attention they were looking for by, we're going to do this show that is sexually suggestive, that the sex is taken out of it, but it does allow me to be sexually right. suggestive on stage. But to the but to the audience, I can almost guarantee no. they didn't feel the same. And and that's the crazy part is, is that um, <laughs> for the performer... The performer has two avenues to take. Either they take the honesty and the truth of the scene, or they take the "I know what this is." And and having and yep. this is a it's a weird moment. I'm I'm not a professional. I'm not. I I, I retired a long time ago. But, but having but having been there, <laughs> having been in that brief moment, do I do this for honesty's sake? Do I do this for artistic sake, or do I just do this because I know what I'm doing? Like, yeah, on Ladies' Night at Full Monty, and I'm singing about my first song, and I hear a first line that says, take it off. Woo! You kind of just mm -hmm. accept what you are, which is, a really, which is a really weird moment to have somebody go from the audience, take it off. You know, just take, just take it off. <laughs> and you're like, okay, so no matter uh -huh. what happens, it doesn't matter. I'll get naked at the end of the show. I, I know, know what, what you're, you're here for. for. And yeah. that's why you brought me but on today. I think there's <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. I just can't get away from it, Dustin. No, actually, this. I, th there's another point I want to bring up, though, and this uh, was brought up a few a uh, few episodes ago by my friend Richard Jordan, who's a uh, a very big producer. But he said what 
one unfortunate thing about this whole streaming phenomenon that people get is, you know, you get on your Spotify and you say, I like musical theater. And so it starts throwing musical theater tunes at you. You probably have students in this boat right now where they are building a portfolio of, you know, songs or monologues or whatever. And they go, I can sing this. And it sounds a lot like the soundtrack but they have no idea what the character arc is through the show. And, and, and see, this is this is exactly what I'm saying about uh, people who are like, I'm going to do Debbie Does Dallas because it is exciting and inflammatory. I uh, I love it. For those of you that aren't seeing the video of this, I've been laughing my ass off for the last 10 seconds because I just had a senior... I had students choose, unbeknownst to me, their pieces. They presented them last year, and one girl did the color purple, and I was like, a word? Oh! (laughs) I'm guessing the student was not African-American. But, but... No? Okay. What we're talking about is having no context (laughs) for the piece that you're performing. Now, band go up there and they will play a brilliant piece by Scott Joplin or they will play a brilliant piece by um, uh, God, I'm seem slightly racist because of this uh, another African American composer and comparatively they can play it the same right? Scott Joplin and so, some sort of other ragtime piece which is, which is phenomenal which is phenomenal oh, yeah. okay. and at the same mm-hmm. time you can have a, a choir Sing an African Sanctus and a uh, an acapella version by uh, Nine Inch Nails, uh, singing the song of Hurt, okay. which high school should not be singing, and I think you can agree with that. But that's a whole other conversation. Uh, it's it's only my favorite band, and yes, I completely agree with you. Yes, <laughs> I'm well aware of that. However, only in musical theater, only in theater have this distinction of of racial importance and ethnic importance when it comes to playing the part in which mm-hmm. you are assigned as an individual and portraying the mm-hmm. part in which you are assigned as an individual which is a whole other series of podcasts that I cannot wait for you to pursue when we talk about ethnic issues and heterosexuality issues and things like that within within the theatrical world. But it comes down to this idea of who are you and can you connect to this? Do you have a way of connecting yes. to this? If you don't, if and, and in my personal Dustin Hebert, master's degree theater teacher, public opinion, if you don't have a way of tapping into this, fuck off. There you go. Don't touch it. Mm-hmm. I watched a guy, a male, sing a piece from Waitress, and he wasn't pregnant. No. Nope. Worried about any future problems, and he sang this piece from Waitress, and I was like, what what are you doing? <laughs> you're taking a segment from a story and you're ruining it because you don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between mm-hmm. singing and playing music and theatrical arts is that yep. we're required to be there. 
we're required to be present mm-hmm. when the person's feeling what they're feeling. And if we can't feel that, we shouldn't be there. And that's okay. And that's okay for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think going to it, my final ultimate point with it is, look, somebody conceived of Debbie Does Dallas the Musical. It is now available for public consumption. You can buy the rights and you can put it on for your audience. Yeah. But if it don't fit, it don't fit. But don't do it because you want a bunch of like weird late 30s, older 40s men to sit in the front row and hope for the best. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because that's not going to be what you want. Told you we'd have a fascinating conversation. I think Horace would be pleased. But also, I hope that we certainly haven't offended anyone with our discussion. Rather, I hope it has inspired many performers listening to be honest with themselves and not necessarily degrading to yourself. On one hand, look, if you're going to do a King Lear and you don't have a King Lear, maybe don't do a King Lear. But on the other hand, regarding honesty and performance, one of my favorite quotes about performance comes from modern dance pioneer Martha Graham. There is only one of you in all of time. This expression is unique. If you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and it will be lost. I hope to see you again in another two weeks and I will see you at intermission. Mm-hmm.